0: Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at Vedanta.org. Today I'm going to talk about rising from the ashes. At this point I think it's more like digging out of the mud, but whatever. In the ancient days there's always been this legend of the phoenix, and the phoenix is a mythical bird who, a huge bird that shimmers in life. Beautiful, beautiful colors, much like an eagle or a peacock, no one's quite sure, but gorgeous colors, sparkling, full of hope and light. Many of the legends say the phoenix lives for 500 years, others say for a thousand years. But at one point, the phoenix builds a nest of beautiful aromatic wood, flaps its wings, turns the nest into flame, and settles into it. The phoenix basically destroys himself. And as soon as the fire is out, the phoenix rises from the flame once again, the beautiful, beautiful, colorful bird, purples, oranges, reds, eyes like sapphires. This symbolism has been in every culture throughout the centuries. It's a symbolic of resurrection, rebirth, immortality, knowing that we are not just the body. Now, we've been through, in Santa Barbara, let's say, fire, flood, and every single thing that we, well, no, I won't say that. We've been through really difficult occurrences. We had the fire first. And in Santa Barbara, that's an expected component. As long as I've lived here, it's not if we have a fire, it's when we have a fire, And it's always been that way. The brush is always there. We have hot, dry winds, and the combination ignites the countryside. Living here the past 40-some years, there has not been a fire in this section of Montecito since 1971. So we have been living for the last mm, 25 years looking up at those hills and going, when? When's it gonna happen? Fire is one thing we don't get complacent about in Santa Barbara. We had many people come up after the fire and say, Oh, I look at those hills and it's so depressing. And I look at them and say, wow, that's clean and it's not going to burn for another 10 to 20 years. I don't have to have fire on my mind. I can think of other things. I don't have to look at it and go, hmm, hmm. So, in one way, personally, I was rather grateful that it went the way it did. I know it was very, very difficult. We were evacuated for quite a long time. Air quality in this area was, like, gone. But we were so much luckier than the people south of us the fire departments had time to get their crews together. They had time to plan a strategy. The wind cooperated. Mother Nature turned the wind or dropped the wind just as it was going to get really threatening. And so the firemen were able to contain everything here. By the end of the 15 or 20 days when we finally got home, we were all just so glad to get home that we went, whew, That's over. Now we can start rebuilding, and we're going to clean up, and everything's going to be fine. Then that rain that we have been praying for for the past seven years decided to come. And mind you, we have been praying for rain for how long? We've had the Sunday school doing rain dances. (laughs) So all of a sudden, here it is, and The geologists tell us, well, that's going to be a problem because there's nothing holding the hillside. What happened was beyond anything we can imagine, anything that we ever imagined in Santa Barbara. It caught everyone so unawares, and it caught everyone to a point where they were just like, no one could believe what happened. We have all in Santa Barbara experienced a tremendous loss, whether we were personally affected sitting in mud or whether we just know people. I don't think any one of us who lives here can say they honestly don't know someone who is personally affected. And that kind of shared loss we have to deal with as a community. And this community is dealing with it spectacularly. I have never seen so many independent, charitable ideas for helping neighbors. I mean, all during the fire, there were restaurants feeding the first responders, just come and eat. People were in their homes were going out and giving food to the firemen who were there. We had two stagings in our parking lot, and that means there's 30 firemen there. Those men are just there to help us. These first responders come whenever there is a disaster, and they go all over the western part of the United States. They do that for us, acknowledging the point that we are all one. We are all part of the greater human family. And they are there to take care of us. I would hate to see it if anyone depended on this little old lady to haul a fire hose around or to dig out a mud pile. We'd be up a creek without a paddle. But these young men put their lives on the line, and they do it over and over and over again. We talked to firemen who said they had been in Santa Rosa, they'd been in all the fires on the West Coast. They had not had a break for more than a week, in that they came immediately when called and put in 16-hour shifts, each one of them. Now, the other thing I think we have to recognize is that we are all suffering from the same kind of trauma. As I say, whether we actually lost our homes, or whether we actually lost friends. We are all suffering from the same kind of trauma, and that trauma has certain stages. We are suffering great loss. The first one is denial. This is the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, but then she extended it to loss of any kind. So the first stage is denial, the second stage is anger. The third stage is bargaining, followed by depression and then acceptance. Now, I know from what we experienced when everyone would say, how are you doing? We'd go, fine, we're doing fine. This was, we were physically, we were fine. But it is a a kind of denial because you can't be emotionally fine Unless you have a strong spiritual base, you have to feel things for your friends and your neighbors who are going through these traumas. So we have to admit that to ourselves. This is a very Vedantic practice. It's called Viveka or discrimination. Looking at your own mind and analyzing your emotions. I mean, we all say, Oh, I'm fine. Well, you're not. You know, I mean, the whole city is affected, the whole county. Everyone has suffered this loss. And then there's the one, I'm not sure everyone feels this one over an act of nature, like anger at it, but people often go through, well, why did it happen to me and not my neighbor? My neighbor's just fine. Or they go, why didn't it happen to me and it happened to my neighbor? What's the difference? But it's just another stage of going through our loss, our process of of assessing our loss. We have to have a certain amount of being able to step back and look at ourselves, look at our actions and reactions, analyze it. Bargaining, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, why why did it happen to Santa Barbara? Well, why not? It's just an act of nature. It's not personal. <laughs> it's truly not personal. Nothing is happening to us because we are who we are. It is simply nature taking its course. I mean, look at the rest of the rest of the United States. Let alone the world. We've had Santa Rosa fire. We've had Hurricane Harvey. We've got down Easter's hitting the east coast right now just hammering it and they're without all their power they're without utilities they're without they're dying of the cold things are just happening what we can hope what our community seems to be doing is looking at these things and learning from possible mistakes we made in dealing with nature like one of the biggest ones, I think, and they've all looked at it, is we in the hills were under mandatory evacuation for the mudslides, and everyone down by the beach was voluntary. Now, we didn't have any real problems up here. We were without utilities for 10 days. But that's, I think all of us have been on a camping trip, and that's okay. We can manage. Irritated and Frustrated without television and internet. My God, how do we know what's going on? But only mild irritations. People down closer to the beach, and we almost called some friends down at the beach to say, if things get bad, can we come down there? We should have called them and said, if things get bad, come on up here. <laughs> but Yes, we were ready to call friends. In Bonnymead. can we bring the cats and dogs down? <laughs> We didn't. But these disasters, in one way, bring our communities much closer together because they are indiscriminate. They are totally non-discriminating. They hit everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, old, young, where you live. It hits everyone. So in one way, one of the good things that comes out of them is we recognize our unity with our neighbors, ourselves. We become one community. We look at people and we know that they suffer just as I suffer. They feel pain just as I feel pain. We're not different. We are one people. And this is one of the major messages of Vedanta. We are all manifestations of the one divinity. We are not unique individuals. We create with our egos the differences. But in reality, as Holy Mother said, no one is a stranger the whole world is your own but it sometimes it takes a disaster to remind us of that we tend to get wound up and spinning in our own little area and that little world excludes other people unless they make an effort to get into it or we make an effort to get out of it but I would say that's one of the things that happens when we... I remember when 9-11 happened, and all of a sudden everyone was, are you okay? Is everyone... You know, they were going out to their neighbors, talking to them, reaching out. And the same thing happens with every one of these disasters, physical disasters. We have a chance at that point to look at our own behavior and see what functions and what doesn't function for us. We have a chance to analyze our own perhaps dysfunctional behavior in not being abrupt with people instead of being patient, being angry. It's easy to get angry, especially when we don't get our own way. But we have a chance to look at those dysfunctional areas of our existence and decide to make changes or not. It doesn't last long. and We have to take advantage of the aftermath quickly. We can look at ourselves and say, okay, do I want peace of mind and where do I find it? Do I want to know the truth and where do I find it? In Vedanta we say we have four yogas, but I would say that we have two main yogas. Okay. We have jnana yoga, which is the path of intellect. And I know when I first came to Vedanta, I was sure. I was probably a jnana yoga, because I was very intelligent, and I could understand abstruse concepts and analyze things. So I knew that I was a jnana. Well, guess what? Not so. (laughs) The other path is bhakti, or the path of love, which is love and devotion, which, if some of you were here from 10.30 to 11, you heard the singing of the bhajans. That's part of bhakti yoga. Singing the glories of God. Loving. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Seeing the divinity in everyone. Seeing God in everyone. And every religion says the same thing. Every religion. Jesus said it, treat your neighbor as thyself. Okay? We're very good to ourselves most times. Buddha said, find one house in which death has not visited. A woman came to Buddha and said, could you bring my son back to life? She had lost a baby. And he said, yes. Yes. I can go to each house and get a mustard seed from the houses where no death has occurred. Well, she went through the village all over, visiting every single house. Has anyone died in your house? Yes. Has anyone died in your house? Yes. She did not find one house that had not experienced death. And she came back to the Buddha, and she said, I see. These things, as I say, are not personal. No one's punishing you. No one's doing anything to you. This is the nature of life, of maya, of the illusion. Now, and Ramakrishna said, uh, see the divine in everything. So there's nothing that we see There's nothing that we see that is not God-manifest. Every tree, every person, even the chairs you're sitting on, um, even the mudslide, God is present. That is the divine. Sometimes it's harder to see. I think my favorite passage in the Gita, which is... To me, the essence of bhakti yoga, where Krishna says to Arjuna, give me your whole heart, love and adore me, worship me only, and I will save you. Now, this is not Krishna talking to Arjuna. This is the divine talking to the human. If we can, it's pretty simple, just rely on me know that I am in charge of everything and everything will be for your good in the end. Now the Giani goes through life going, what is eternal? What is immortal? Is it the chair you're sitting on, which we just called God? But is it eternal? Mm-mm. As Buddha said, all compounded matter decays. And guess what? We're compounded matter too. But it's just simply part of the design of maya. We live in a world that is externalized. And we can't find that ultimate peace, love, and knowledge outside of ourselves. We have to find it inside ourselves first. And that basically is why people go to religion, to philosophy, to psychology, to metaphysics, to fortune tellers, to astronomers, because they want to know who they are if we find that inside ourselves, then there's absolutely nothing that can disturb us. As soon as we know in our heart of hearts to the bottoms of our toes that we are that divine manifestation, nothing can shake you because that will be your being, and it already is. We just tend to cover it up by putting on this shirt or that shirt and becoming this person or that person. And we change our personas many times during our lives. Think back to when you were mm, 10. What were you going to be? I was going to be Florence Nightingale. I mean, think about what we have thought about in our lives of how we were shaping ourselves. And we were always looking outside to get an example. Well it reaches a certain point in your life where you go okay I've done all that and maybe it's time to look inside and find out who's there. and I think it's my feeling that these kind of external disasters are reminders for us to look inside because they're so much greater than our physical being that we have to go, whoa, what just happened? What is this about? And so we have to look somewhere else. Now as I say, jnana yoga is one way to do it. It's not an easy path because the ultimate phase is you're not attached to your body. This body you know is unreal, also. It's simply a shirt your Atman is wearing. The Atman, like the phoenix, implodes and rises up again. The Atman is eternal. The Christians call it your soul. Not sure what the Mohammedans call it, but I imagine it's the soul also because they're all people of the same lineage. They all believe in the early books of the Bible. So in order to find that Atman, to uncover it, we have to, through Jnana Yoga, you look at yourself and see what you're doing, you look at what occurrences are happening or events are happening in life, and you say, it won't last. It's not eternal. It's not eternal. It's called naiti-naiti, not this, not this, not this, until you finally get to this. And that is very difficult because you really have to lose all identity with the physical world and your body. As long as you are viewing the world through your senses, it is very real. As long as you are aware of your body, it is very real. Which is why Ramakrishna said, the easiest path for the Kali Yuga, which I'm sure this is at this point, is the path of devotion. In the path of devotion or bhakti yoga, you use all of your senses to glorify God. You use your eyes to see beauty. You use them to create beauty. You use your sense of taste to create beautiful food to give to God. You use all of your senses as means of worshiping God. That's what this is all about. This is the temple's manifestation of external worship. Someone goes up there every single day and calls down, sits and meditates, recognizes the divinity within themselves, and calls down the divinity in the chosen ideal. Once they have established that, then they worship the chosen ideal with all their hearts, with everything beautiful they can offer, flowers, incense, food, everything, a bath. It's as if you were bringing a beloved guest into your house, or your beloved Doing everything possible that you can to make them, to please them, to make them happy, show them that you love them. This is easy in the Kali Yuga. We all have emotions, believe me. We try to be stoic, but inside, we have quite a few friends who lost houses in this last disaster, and they're all trying to be yes, I've discovered it's only things. People are so much more important. And inside, they're still going through this tremendous emotional upheaval. So we all have to recognize what we're doing and know that. Okay, I'm going to do a couple of quotes. One is Epictetus. He's a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not but rejoices in those which he has. Don't think about the things you've lost. Think about the things you still have. And then Buddha said it a little differently. He said, let us rise up and be thankful. For if we didn't learn a lot today, at least we learned a little. And if we didn't learn a little, at least we didn't get sick. And if we got sick, at least we didn't die. So let us all be thankful. (laughs) I mean, we all have something to be thankful for. And then this other Brian Tracy, whom I have no idea who he is, I just, I collect quotes from all sorts of sources. And I write them down and then I don't remember where I got them, because I've been collecting them for 50 years and I have these little tiny notebooks that say da-da-da-da, and I have no idea who the person is 50 years later. But I still like the quote. Develop an attitude of gratitude and give thanks for everything that happens to you, knowing that every step forward is a step toward achieving something bigger and better than your current situation. I find that extremely encouraging because we can always grow. That is the nature of the human beast. We are going to grow. We are going to realize God or our own divinity, whichever you want to call it. There is no failure. You are going to do it. This life, next life, but you are going to realize your own true nature. As I say, absolutely no failure in religious life. In spiritual life. There's only one way to go, and that's up. You may think you're going down, but you're not. <laughs> what you're doing is it goes up like a spiral, and there's little dips, but each dip is higher than the last dip. And the way we can take control of that, you can't, but you can think you're doing it. <laughs> you can... As the Katha Upanishad says, make choices. Every single action, you make a choice every day. And the Katha said, choose between the good or the pleasant. The good, and we know what the good is. Look deep down inside you, and even when you were a kid, I remember I stole a comic book when I was four, and I came home with it, and my mother said, where'd you get it, and I went, they gave it to me at the drugstore. Now, I knew this was wrong, even at four. And she said, oh, okay, let's go thank him. Wow. You know, the <laughs> and so I have to go back. And so we went back, and I went, I took it. <laughs> but we all know deep in our hearts what's good and what we just want, what's pleasant for us. And sometimes we choose the pleasant. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. If we were, we wouldn't be here. We are going to choose the pleasant sometimes. But if our goal is to recognize our divinity, then we start to try and make a habit of not choosing the pleasant all the time. We try to train our minds into choosing the good. And the more you do it, then it becomes automatic. It becomes absolutely automatic. It's not a, Ooh, I really want to do this, but I should do that. You don't have that conflict anymore. You've actually gotten to the point where, oh, okay, this is what I do, so I do it. Should I help my neighbor, or do I want to go to that concert? My neighbor doesn't have a place to stay tonight, After a while, it becomes automatic. You just do what you know you should do. And that kind of thing purifies yourself, purifies your ego, or as they say, wipes the mirror of the heart clean. The mirror is a little dirty right now if we cannot see our true self. So every good action we do polishes that mirror and cleans it up. No one said religion was easy. <laughs> no one said that. It is easy. It can be easy and simple if we could just do it. If we could say one day, I believe that the Lord will take care of me and know it absolutely with certainty we would not complain about anything that happened to us. We would not be dissatisfied with anything because we would know in our heart of hearts that whatever the Lord was doing was for our benefit. But very few of us, it's against human nature, play doesn't go on if it was that easy for us to give it up. So most of us go, yes, I believe, and I believe everything that is done is good for me, but what about, I think it could have been done a little bit. Even Swamiji, who was an ever-free soul, said, well, if I were God, I would do a little better in making the world. I mean, even Swamiji, this is our conundrum. <laughs> we have egos. We have them, that's it. And we have to try and either dedicate them to God or subdue them, erase them, make them smaller, or make them large enough to include everyone. There's no one way. But like the phoenix, we will rise. We have been, of course they're predicting another thing for Tuesday and Wednesday now. Um, is everyone ready for the new normal, like <laughs> Sheriff Bill Brown says? Ready for your n- next evacuation? Your next impending disaster? Because th- this will be our new normal for a while. And it doesn't do us any good to fight it or to be angry about it. It just is. It simply is. And the people who do this first response work are only trying to keep us from dying. And I know when we got the evacuation order two of us were just too tired. <laughs> and that's that's not a great spiritual feat. We were just too tired and we went, were not evacuating. It's too much trouble and we know we're going to be safe here. So We stayed out of the way of all the first responders. (laughs) We stayed inside the property and tried not to get on the road too much so we wouldn't interfere with their progress. And they were okay with that. But if anyone's in an area that is really in danger, evacuate. Do it, even if it's for a day. Pack your bag, have it packed all the time, and make it. Not something that you resist or something that you are frustrated with, but something that you enjoy. Do something fun while you're evacuated. Make it a positive experience rather than a negative experience. We can all manage to do that, because the only thing that affects what's happening to us is our attitude. How we ourselves take it. I've read I can't even remember where I read it, that gratitude is nothing but great attitude. And when we feel gratitude, we're not frustrated, we're not angry, we're not fighting against what's happening. So if we all cultivate a great attitude, now sure, we're going we're gonna to miss here and there because we're human. But we can do it. And this whole city is doing it. I mean, we just heard about this one woman who... I see ads on TV where the kids, high school kids are, what can we do? And so they're singing to raise money for the victims of the fire and the mudslides. Another woman, what can I do for my neighbors? Well, she's opened a pop-up where she's accepting clothes, free giveaways for anyone who was in the mudslides. Bring clothes that... Your neighbors wear here in Montecito coats and jackets in this cold weather. They lost everything. And sure, they may have enough money to go out and buy it, but they're still suffering such trauma that they don't know what they're doing yet. So it's whatever we can do in whatever small way. It takes us out of ourselves and makes us realize that we are... One, divine humanity. There's even an ad on TV, and I don't know what they're selling. I have no idea. But the ad says, we the people, united, we are unstoppable. And I think that's true. It, as I say, I have no idea what they're selling. It's unbelievable how it, it completely went over my head. And I've seen the ad about six times. I still don't know what they're selling. But what I got out of it was a great, great attitude. And that's, to me, extremely encouraging in this day and age. When even what used to be buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, they're trying to say something positive to the point where I, honest, I don't know what they're selling. It's If any of you see it, you can tell me, okay? (laughs) But as I say, talking to your neighbors, sharing your experience is one way to get over the loss. If you bring it to the surface, you see your own emotions. You see how you're really feeling. It's not whining. It's not complaining. It's not, you know, oh, poor me. It's... What do I do next? And I think we can all help each other. I really do. And I think that's why we come to churches. We noticed after, if people could find their way up here, that many (laughs) people were coming up just to sit in the temple. Are you okay? Is everything all right? You survived. And we went, yeah, sure, we did, yeah. We even had... A Japanese woman in Mount Shasta We received this package that none of us had any idea what it was about. And of course it was like three weeks late because we couldn't get mail for 20 days. Um, and it was full of this lovely string of a thousand cranes that she had, with origami, had folded, and they're all about this big. Ten strings of, of a hundred each. And she said... I was thinking about the temple and I wanted to make do my part. So she said, I said the Gayatri Mantra every, with every time I folded one of these. I mean, it's little things like this. You don't have to go out and open a hospital or rebuild a house, but just to tell your neighbors, I'm thinking about you. Just reaching out humanly, not hopefully not through the Internet or our cell phones, texting or (laughs) email, but to see them in person and say, I'm thinking about you. Now, sometimes we can't move, so we do it through texting or we do it through email, but at least it's there. People know. And actually, I think we can just remember what... Jesus said what Buddha said and what Ramakrishna said, we are one. Our neighbor is ourself. And we will rise because it is the nature of every human being to know that we are immortal. We do know that. We know it. We do know. We always feel like we always have been. I think very few people who come to the Vedanta temple feel that this is it. We have a strong belief in the principle of the phoenix. We go into the ashes, we drop this body, and we rise up again. And that is our nature. We will always, always be here or we will always be part of that divine, the divinity that is one. There is no second. Aum Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudat Purnasya Purnamadaya PUR NAMEVA VASHISHYATE OM SHANTI 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 Full of Brahman are the things we see, full of Brahman are the things we see not. From Brahman all, yet is it still the same? OM, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.